Hello everyone and welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. I'm coming to you from a very different location this week because I'm off on a grand adventure way up north to do a video project with the RCMP who are doing some wilderness survival training at an indigenous reserve called Chatey. And I think from there actually it's going to be another three hours north of that reserve even. So I'm going to be in the middle of nowhere for quite a few days uh, and not able to easily record a podcast for this next week. Uh, so I brought my equipment on the road and I also brought a very special guest who's going to be my assistant in the filming that I'm doing up north and that's my dad. So. Dad, thank you for coming on this crazy road trip with me, first of all. You're welcome, Ben. Glad to be with you. And thank you for coming on the traveling podcast. Yes, maybe we're cutting new ground here. Well, we're at the moment, we just, uh, we just stopped in Westlock for some gas, and we're headed north. We'll be in Slave Lake uh, in, I'm not sure how long, but I think we've got enough time here, a long, a long enough stretch to uh, record an episode. So the reason that I wanted to have you come on the show, Dad, is we were talking about this trip coming up when, when you offered to come with me. Uh, I think it was around then that you were telling me about a TED Talk that you watched um, with Simon Sinek, who's the author of a book called Start With Why. And I've looked at his book before, I've seen his TED Talk and, and some other videos, and for anyone who hasn't heard of Simon Sinek, definitely check out uh, Simon Sinek on YouTube or on TED.com and listen to his TED Talk. It's really, really fantastic. And what his talk and the book Start With Why really address is this question of, well, why? Why are we here? What is our purpose? Uh, what is it sort of t ties into that what is the meaning of, of all of this uh, question that all of us wrestle with at some point or another in our in our lives so when uh, when you and I were talking about it dad you you said that you know this was kind of new you hadn't come across Simon Sinek before and you were watching it with mom you watched a couple of other uh, a couple other videos of Simon Sinek as well and that it really got you thinking about your own personal why and your own personal purpose. So why don't you take me back to kind of what you got out of it, what sort of the, the main message of the video was um, since you just watched it so recently, and just to share with people listening and get other people kind of thinking about their their own sense of purpose. Sure. The uh, approach that Simon's speeches often take is uh, that of of someone who's helping corporations to get get the, their priorities straight. And right, it's not always just about a personal why. Right, and uh, after seeing some of those, I was interested by them, but I I still hadn't gotten the message that this applies to person personal life as well. Um, he said that uh, the businesses that really do well, they know their why they know why they exist they know why they go to work every day and they know why what they do matters to other people particularly their customers and their staff so I kept uh, Simon is such an engaging speaker I kept going back for more 
and I watched him being interviewed and eventually I came across one of his speeches where he actually talked about it from the personal standpoint and uh, that got me thinking well why wasn't I born <laughs> why am I here on this earth and it took me a little while to think that through and it, it just came to me in a flash well the reason I'm here is to help other people and what helped me understand that was just kind of reflecting back on my upbringing and also my some of some of the things that I used to do when I was quite young younger than you would expect for that kind of thing to be happening so take us back then to some of those early years of childhood of early development and what what some of the influences were on on the thinking that you had as sure. a kid um, my parents were both very giving people they they were heavily involved in the church and all kinds of activities later on my father Claire Wilson was kind of the self-appointed welcome to Gorbay person he was mr. Gorbay he was and he would somehow find out that a new person had come to Gorbay now in a town of 800 people that's not all that difficult so uh, a newcomer just kind of stands out quite easily and he would make it his his purpose and his passion to find out about those people get to know them just the moment they moved into town and just to help them out with any usually when someone's new to a place they need certain things or totally they have a lot of questions and a lot of and, need, maybe need support and he was busy like he was a full-time optometrist busy practice raising four kids and traveling very involved, far distances yeah. Do, lot, yeah always doing a lot of traveling really involved in the community in other ways um, so it wasn't like he was sitting around with nothing to do. No, but he made this priority and he, he wanted to know what questions they had, but he also had questions for them. And some of those questions were, what do you need right now? And it might be help in finding a place to live or um, maybe they're to the point where they need to know where the churches are in town, which ones, which ones are where and uh, sports activities they get their kids into, whatever it might be. So based on that, he would say, okay, well, I don't know anything about that, but I know who does, and let's go meet him. And he'd take the person in his car, and, or the couple, if it was a married couple, and uh, take them to the person, let's say, who runs the minor hockey or whatever and gets gets them introduced and integrates them into the community so much more quickly than they would ever be able to manage on their own. When my dad died, there were so many people that came to to me afterwards and said, you know, your, your dad and your mom were the first people we knew in Gorbay. And they never dropped us. They kept us in their close group of friends all these years and uh, we just wanted you to know that you have remarkable parents 
So when I was about six, I think, is when I figured out that they were rather remarkable. So just to back up here for anyone that, for people that likely won't know, like at what stage um, that uh, that you, you lost grandpa it was 1998, right? 97, yeah. 97, so you weren't super young, but it was it was too early to lose him, but it was not at a stage of like, you weren't a kid when this happened. Just, no, no, I was 45 or so. So, but going back now to when you, when you were young, did you, how did you, I mean, obviously you were steeped and immersed in that upbringing and that generosity, that energy that, that grandma and grandpa had. How did you become aware of it? Look, now that you look back, how do you think you became aware of it or how did it rub off on you? Well, uh, at first I wasn't aware of it because even the people that we would have over for dinner or coming to the house for a visit in the evening or doing going for a picnic with them, these other families also had people that were very devoted to helping others. It, I think uh, in this case, like tracks, like rather than like um uh, positive attracting negative kind of thing and so since I was surrounded by friends of my parents and our relatives that are also of the same kind very giving people I just felt that that was the way everybody was it was but, just normal yeah but by age six you know you're into school and now you're starting to see a whole bunch more kids than you did before and uh, you start to see some of their parents and you f start to find out a little bit about how they live and what they do and that's when it kind of struck me that it was different in our family and I was grateful for the fact that it was different and I think that's when I decided you know I I would like to carry on with the same kind of uh, reason for living that my parents have. So at this, like as a kid, obviously you wouldn't be thinking about it as this is mom and dad's purpose in life. This no. is their, it, it was more just, it was a behavior that was being um, mapped onto you. It was a behavior that you were wanting to emulate just like most of us will, for better or worse, copy copycat what we know, what's in the home as we're growing up. Right, and we, we tend to copy the actions of our of our parents more so than what they say and uh, they didn't talk about what they did for other people it, it was just normal so it wasn't really a talking feature but their actions were speaking much more loudly than than words ever would so uh, my dad being an eye doctor I thought well that's that's a profession where you're helping people out all the time. I'd kind of like to do that myself. And by the time I was 11, Dad had uh, hired me as his optometric assistant, and I was looking after patients getting into the office, making appointments. and At age 11? Yes. That's when I started. And... 
he also showed me how to do adjustments on people's eyewear. So if they had some sore spots, I could fix that up. And and I really enjoyed when people would come in and I would fix them up in, in that way. And then as they're leaving, they would say, well, what do I owe you? And I said, I would say nothing. That's the practice, just uh, looking after left, looking after our patients. And they were often surprised and always pleased. And I thought, you know, this is really a nice thing to do and it's a good way to live. So you were already receiving the, the payment in the form of that, that warm, fuzzy feeling you get of doing something for others. Yeah, but as, I, a, as a kid, I could see past that. The warm, fuzzy feeling was certainly there, but I could see past that because not only was I helping the patient, but I was helping mom and dad because they didn't have to bother with doing that adjustment when they're they would have had to drop some other job that they were busy with right, at right. that time, or it would be when dad's way up north, traveling to uh, provide eye care in the northern parts of Ontario. But I'm just curious if there was something inherently significant about that face-to-face -face exchange with each patient where you were you were the one handing them their glasses, you saw that reaction on their face when they realized they didn't even have to pay. There's something about that that's distinct from the work that you've always talked about um, when you were a kid that you would also work in the lab. So I don't. So what age were you when you started in the? And by what I mean by in the lab is for people that aren't familiar, just um, helping to manufacture and assemble glasses. So cutting uh, lenses down to the right shape, putting frames together. That was a huge part-time job for you when you were. A kid as well right more right. Like a couple years maybe older like as a teenager I was 14 yeah okay so what so picture 14 year old Perry down in the lab you know that these glasses are gonna help people that they're gonna be worn by someone who it's life-changing to, to give person clear vision yes. but you're not dealing with them in the face-to-face -face. no so especially the ones that are so far away Occasionally, I would see some that come into the office right in Gorbay, but the ones from far in, in the North Country, uh, the, my only exposure to their reaction might be a letter that they would send or they might make a phone call to us and I might take that call. So it's sort of impersonal, but Much even, so. even yeah. as a teenager, you would have known that it was important. There was a sense of like, this is these glasses are important to the person that are that are ordering them, that are receiving them, they're paying for them. There's an exchange of value there that is very significant. But it's another layer entirely when you experience that interaction and that exchange of values with a person and you shake their hand or you look them in the eye, you see their facial expression, all the, the body language and uh, nonverbal cues that go along with that and that exchange of energy. So I'm just, I'm really curious about how those different experiences and that you know you were building work ethic and you were building great experience that and then you went you did end up going into that career for your your entire career was was in that same line of work following True. after your your dad yes but it's and maybe you don't even know the answers but as you were watching like these videos of Simon Sinek and talking to mom about it 
and starting to explore what your why is do you do you think some of that tied into any particular specific pr- uh, people that you helped or experiences that you had as a kid there is, is there anything that stands out that seemed to be kind of a, a catalyst moment or person or interaction I wouldn't say it was quite that way I think it was a more of a gradual accumulation of a whole bunch of little things and little experiences with people or as you say even the remote ones you don't have the face-to-face but you still know that you're doing good that you're helping them yeah and I I think that's a very nice transition to make where you don't have to rely on the warm fuzzy feeling and the face-to-face encounter you can you can feel good about doing what you're doing because you know it's helping whether you're told thank you or not, whether you're told this really helped me or not. You don't have to yeah. have that uh, feedback once you reach a certain stage in living to give for others. I'm, I'm really glad you described it that way because it, this brings us to a really important um, aspect of this conversation and a really important aspect of exploring anyone's purpose or, or why, and that is recognition. So we have this huge, humans have this massive ego that we haul around with us that is constantly needing to be fed. It's kind of like you hauling me around on this trip and you're constantly passing me sandwiches to keep me going to the next stop. But it's, it's always there. It's always asking to be fed. And our egos crave that recognition that you did a good thing you're you're the person who made this happen we want to be at, and i'm so bad for this and i know that it's i shouldn't say bad but i it's it's there for me like it's it's a really real um and strong motivating force for me is i love to to hear the impact of when i make a video and it goes out there and i'm looking to see well how many views has it had and if if i create something and it goes viral and and even if I don't hear, the, you know, specific comments from people of what they thought of it, or, or just knowing that it reached a million people, it's like that feeds my ego. Oh, incredible! And, and so, you don't have to apologize for that because that those are all good endorphins that you're stimulating when when you feel that. Yeah, I shouldn't paint it in a light that it's, and I'm not saying that it's always bad, but I do think that there's something really amazing about people who are able to do good and feel good about it and know that it's worthwhile and know that it was significant and meaningful and not need to receive the praise or the recognition or the credit and I know lots of you you are a prime example of that for me in my life as a role model um, there's there's lots of other people I know that are like that 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 even go so far as they hate being singled out they hate having their name in the credits or um, they they don't like being pulled up on stage at a at an event to be thanked even if they were the one who organized the whole thing and so there's and whether that's embarrassment or whether it's they they just they receive their feeling of, of um, satisfaction through other means whatever it is we're all different but you you are definitely one of those people that is you feel comfortable and confident in doing good 
and never, never receiving thanks, never receiving anything in return, donating to something and just knowing that you supported it, you don't need to have your name in, in, in bright lights. So that obviously came from your childhood too, at some point along the way. Yeah, I think, again, it was the quiet way that both Claire and Vi did so many good things for other people and, and didn't ever expect anything in return nor any recognition. Can you think of some examples of, of uh, from their lives that really stood out to you, either as a kid or even just now looking back, that were really remarkable? I mean, I, I know lots of stories of their generosity that are just mind-blowing, but just the to give people a sense of who your mom and dad were, like the, these two people are extremely rare like extremely remarkable generosity to the point that it was way above and beyond what most people would would do for others yeah i can remember uh one instance where we were sitting in the kitchen it was christmas eve and we had finished well we were almost finished supper and there was a knock at the door and dad opened the door and in stumbled a drunk guy and he said in his slurred voice, Clara, would you give me a ride down to Little Current? And uh, that's a 45 minute drive away. So dad only blinked his eyes once, got, got an idea of the situation and said, sure, I'll get my coat and away we go. And this was somebody he didn't even know. He knows just about everybody on Manitoulin Island, but he, he didn't happen to know this fellow. So what what would have brought him to your house uh, just that the, night? He probably saw the lights were on and he would take his chance. <laughs> Maybe he'd already gotten turned down by several others. I don't know the backstory on that. But uh, I was quite amazed that Dad just jumped and helped out this stranger and you know he'd obviously his behavior had gotten him into this predicament where he couldn't make his way back home and, and uh, dad was willing to do so even though it was Christmas Eve with his family that he was foregoing anyway when he got back uh, almost a couple hours later I asked him about that and he said oh well I I know how this story is gonna work out if I don't take him, I'll tur- I will have turned away Jesus. <laughs> that was Jesus knocking at the door. He was a little drunk, but it was still Jesus. <laughs> he said that? Yeah. <laughs> How old were you at the time? I would have been 15, maybe, 16. <laughs> okay, so I want to unpack this story a little bit. That's a great example because there's some complexities and some nuance here. And it's so easy to look at that at the face and at the face of that story and think, well, I mean, it's great to help people in need, but you also got to draw the line somewhere. And, you know, the, the typical response would be, you know, why, why, why should he give up Christmas Eve with his family, make that giant sacrifice for someone who's so undeserving? Or, you know, we'd pile on all kinds of judgments onto how this person what right do they have and you know especially if they're you know being drunk that it's just so easy to judge so easy to judge but it's also very relevant or I think um, 
also legitimate, I should say, that there's a, there is a real cost for him to make that choice that he's now not just choosing for himself, he's choosing that his wife is giving up her Christmas Eve evening with the family altogether. There's an impact on you guys as kids. And so what got modeled to you is this exuberant generosity, but at the same time also a selflessness to the point of like where do you weigh in the cost too? Yeah, and it's a tough question, especially when you could be diminishing something for the family that you love dearly. Exactly. In order to help out a stranger who's in a predicament uh, of his own making, not not just poor luck. Exactly, and you and you don't know, um, especially when it's someone he didn't know, he didn't know this person, didn't know their history, didn't know the context. And so it speaks volumes that he would make that bold decision decision uh, to help this person in, in need, even if he was being taken advantage of. Yes. Even if it, this was someone who just does this all the time. Or I, I remember lots of stories that grandpa would give someone cash that was asking for money. Yes. And he would give them cash the next week and then the next week. And at some point, most people would say, you know, you're being a sucker. You're, you're being taken advantage of and you're letting people take advantage of you. And for Grandpa, though, it was... He, he almost didn't care if, if some of the generosity that he was extending to others was being taken advantage of by people who were even maybe malicious. Right. He and was okay with that. It was like a lost leader for him. He was... He, you know, he would never even... And you're the same way, that you'd never consider, even consider changing your behaviors or your habits or your approach to others just so that you could avoid the one or two that were had a negative negativity to it or were taking advantage of you right he he always thought the best of people and i remember i recall some people uh kind of criticizing him for for that and like you say allowing himself to be taken advantage of and he had a good sense of humor, so he would always just kind of turn it around and he would say, well, every town has its own Santa Claus and I'm just it for Gorbet. <laughs> <laughs> Tongue in cheek, of course, but yeah, uh, but and it I mean, just disarmed the, the person <laughs> for sure who was making the criticism. Well, I like I said, I can think of so many stories of way over the top gestures or acts of kindness that that grandpa you and your brothers and and sister colleen and everyone it really trickled down and impacted everyone in the family that this is just what you do yeah. like and there are certain families that or even communities where uh, and i feel like basha is is really an, a powerful example of that that there are so many people in basha where if somebody is in need the, re the overwhelming response, not from everyone, or obviously, obviously there's always going to be people who have a different attitude around, you know, supporting people in need, but overwhelmingly the, the response from the community at large is, what can we do to help? Yeah. What does this person need? Someone will pace, post uh, something on Facebook saying, you know, we have um, a couple in our community that are looking for low-income housing and they're looking for a place to rent. Does anyone know of an apartment or house that's available with... And, and 
instantly people will jump on there and say, well, what's their budget? What do they, what do they need? And do they, do they have kids? And if they have kids, do their kids need anything? And within hours, there's boxes of clothing and blankets being dropped off or they're, you know, people are helping them out at the food bank after hours or whatever they need. It's just, there's a community, uh, in Basha and, 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 and in a lot of cases, there's that culture within certain families as well, where it's passed on, and and we uh, we we want to emulate the the culture and the values that are taught to us, whether it's by our elders, our, our parents, or just community members. So, let's get back maybe to how you how you went down this road of self discovery and and looking at well, what is my personal why. Um, after watching those videos, why do you think it is that it's such a strange thing to contemplate our our own reason for existing? Like you're 66, right? Yes. You're 65, 66, 66. and you watched this video a couple a week ago or whatever it was, and all of a sudden you're sitting there scratching your head, thinking, "Huh, why do I exist?" Like it's just kind of funny in a way that. You could be 66 years old and not know why you're here, <laughs> but but and I and that's not a judgment at all. Like I'm just saying that that's the norm. I I remember having the same thing when I watched his TED talk and I thought, well, what the hell is my reason for for living? <laughs> and that was only a few years ago. And but until someone provokes the thought in a certain way, you you can really just be kind of on the treadmill of life and you know going after the the things that our culture and society tell us that we should strive for like we whether it's money or success or however we measure success or you know find a partner have kids like those are all things there those are things that we want we want our life to have certain things or want life to look a certain way but it's a very different question to ask well why am i here true why am i living my life what, I, what's the why that i'm doing all that stuff for First of all, I think that <clears throat> the reason it never really occurred to me to pose that question of myself as to why I exist is because I was too busy doing things to think about it, number one. And number two, I was just acting the way I thought should be normal for everybody. And it was certainly normal in my upbringing. So it didn't really stand out as being something to be questioned or to be... Uh, wondering about kind of the way a, a child doesn't ever ask like why do I exist as opposed to not existing it's not something a kid thinks about no in fact I would I would go so far as to say I don't really think about why I breathe right and you, I don't really think about why I want to help other people same those two are in the same boat for me right yeah it's just a natural way of being for you and I, so and you, you feel that it feeds you, obviously, spiritually and mentally and emotionally. It just feels right. I remember uh, when Trish and I were just a couple, we had no children, and it was in the 1970s, I guess, late 70s, and we were starting to talk about uh, possibly procreating to start the next generation. Very glad that you did, by the way. <laughs> Thought you might like that. And uh, there seemed to be a lot of nasty things going on in the world at that time. Pr 
probably just the same as there are now. But, uh, you know, it, it always seems worse at the present time. And there was the argument that, you know, this is too nasty of a world to bring children into. Look what you're going to be look, subjecting them to. Yeah. And I thought about that for quite a little while. And then I said to Trish, well, I think you and I can bring some children into the world that will make the world better. And we have a responsibility to do that. Hmm. I, it's funny because Kelly and I had almost that exact same conversation where we felt like, you know, this world is so overpopulated and busting at the seams. We're depleting resources and polluting and uh, destroying habitats everywhere around the planet to the point that, you know, here we are in 2019 and and there's billions of dollars being invested into what it what would it take to actually leave this planet and colonize another one because we have destroyed this one to the yeah. point that that's something that's being actually thought about and contemplated for the future of humanity it's scary like it it's is. downright legit terrifying to think about what are the living conditions going to be for my great 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 grandchildren or I'll sometimes think about you know what is what is this planet going to look like in 500 years and a thousand years and if if our species is still here and at all thriving there's going to be people that are part of that population that are here because of me that are going to be the descendants of you and I right and so we yeah we have a responsibility to you you really have to weigh that that decision of do you want to have children with uh with more than just your own lifespan in mind oh for sure it's a a legacy that you're creating but part of that so a big part of that legacy is not just that you've added a couple numbers to the tally of the population but what sort of people are are you bringing into the world and how are you bringing bringing them up and raising them to have a sense of responsibility for their fellow humans and and the planet and you like you guys have done an amazing job of that Kelly's family's done an amazing job of that and we feel like we're passing that on to our kids but I'm also so keenly aware that I said this I think in the, the previous episode with Robin that simply by being born in Canada in the 21st century or 20th century um, a person is at such a massive advantage that no matter how difficult life might appear or what challenges you might have if if you're just a Canadian citizen and even if you're just slightly above the poverty line you're already at the front of the pack in terms of the the whole world yeah you've won the genetic you've lottery. won the lottery if if you I heard this one once on a podcast I was listening to recently that if you make thirty thousand dollars a year you're in the top one percent of the wealthiest people in the entire planet isn't that crazy it is and people in Canada would think well how can you survive on thirty thousand dollars a year well ninety nine percent of the population of the world lives on way less yeah the equivalent in their country not it, just straight across thirty thousand dollars anyway that that's a, a tangent but I I appreciate that you know you didn't take even in the 70s when most people were not 
I don't think would have been as, as cognizant of the global impacts of their decisions and the long-term repercussions. You guys are wrestling with those things and weighing, like, do we want to bring kids into this world? Um, but you kind of committed to doing it in a way that you wanted to have a net positive impact. True. Which was just an extension of that that why that you had been unknowingly cultivating throughout your whole life of have a positive impact, have a positive impact, do good for others, improve, improve, improve the world through the people around you, through having kids, through everything that you do, you kind of have that as that, that base layer operating system for you that, that are uh, grounded in, in that core value. Um, it's really cool to hear about it when, I mean, it would be an interesting story even if you weren't my dad, but obviously it's a thousand times more interesting because it's our family's story and talking about grandma and grandpa and bringing back lots of those memories and stories. And so I really appreciate it. I, I think maybe we're at a, a, a good spot in the conversation to, to wind it up. But is there anything else that you wanted to add about you know, what that journey was like for you of going through some of this, looking at your own life and that self-discovery and thinking about your purpose? Well, when I did wrestle with the question of why, I didn't have to wrestle very long. And I was kind of glad that, that I came up with an answer because otherwise it's a scary thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can be, it is terrifying to, I, for me, what I think is terrifying is realizing that there isn't just a black and white this is the meaning of life Robin and I had a, another conversation a while back where we, we were joking about this and he was making reference to the, I think it's in the life of Brian where they're asking the question of the meaning of life and, and then they say it's 47 <laughs> like yeah. there, there isn't an answer right. we, we, we're programmed to, to think that there is a right answer and, and a single truth for all these questions in life. But for this question of, well, what is the meaning? I don't think there is one. I think be because meaning inherently only exists in the mind of the person who's thinking about that meaning. So a tree, even though it's alive, it, without consciousness, there is no meaning. Yes. So meaning depends on the person who's thinking about the meaning. So in other words, we're, we get to self-author or decide what our meaning of life is and, we, and it evolves as we live our lives, you know, through the course of our life, it might change. You might have a why or a purpose in one season of your life and then realize that you want that to change or that, you know, that your why has been a very self-centered why and you want to evolve into uh, a state of being that's more selfless and more about, more about giving back. That happens to a lot of people, I think. Yeah. There's there's a ton of resources too, I think, around this area. That one book that I've been wanting to read and haven't read yet, but I've had several people recommend it to me, is a book called *Man's Search for Meaning*. Have you ever heard of that? No, book? I haven't. If I've heard of I've heard about it on a couple of podcasts and had had friends recommend it to me, so that's on my reading list to check out uh, sometime soon. Uh, if anybody listening has uh, resources, books, podcasts, anything at all that kind of relate to this theme, this topic of conversation of exploring why we're here, 
um, and what our, our why or our purpose is. I'd love to hear from you if you've got books to share uh, or just thoughts, articles, anything at all that you've come across that other people could benefit from. That's kind of the point of creating uh, a community and using these podcasts as well as Robin's sermons and blogs to build community is that through uh, the Six Ways from Sunday Facebook page or the risingspiritministry.com website, sixwaysfromsunday.ca website, those are great places to to share your own thoughts and resources that you've come across or thoughts that you've had with this community. So thank you everybody for listening, for joining me and my dad on the road as we're headed way up north. Uh, If if no one ever hears this podcast, then I guess something went terribly wrong. <laughs> but uh, presuming that that you're listening to this, that means that we made it back from from the north successfully, and uh, we're already having a great time. Dad, thanks again so much for joining me. It's awesome to have this time with you, just the two of us. We never get to do this, so it's already been really special, and I'm excited for the next few days with you. It's going to be great. Thanks everybody for listening to this great conversation that I had with my dad on the road and we hope to have you join us again next week on Six Ways from Sunday. Take care.